This Janet Meffer Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. We're trying to provide 100 refugee families with emergency supplies and the gospel during this urgent time of crisis. Your gift of $116 will help two families. Please help today by calling 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. In the Communist Manifesto, Marx and Engels famously wrote, A specter is haunting Europe, the specter of communism. But the specter that now haunts America is not only communism, a.k.a. socialism, but also deep corruption and deep deception, all designed to fundamentally transform our nation. And perhaps this is why President Trump represents so much more to patriotic Americans than just a typical Republican commander-in-chief. It is uniquely significant that he won an election previously that he wasn't supposed to win. Now he faces another election under incredible political media and leftist cultural opposition. It's no wonder that millions view this election as a struggle, not just for Trump as a man or a politician per se, but for a free America, because we now have to ask ourselves, what kind of future will Americans face if socialism under the Democrats triumphs here in the land of the free? These are some of the questions my next guest, author and filmmaker Dinesh D'Souza, explores in his his new movie, Trump Card, Beating Socialism, Corruption in the Deep State, based on his latest book, United States of Socialism, Who's Behind It, Why It's Evil, How to Stop It. That pretty much says it all, Dinesh. Great to have you with us. Janet, it's always a pleasure, and I'm very excited about this movie, my fifth political documentary, and I think the best one yet. I, I really wish you could have gone into the theater, but because the theatrical picture is so spotty, it's out in DVD and video on demand. So you can get it on a whole bunch of platforms from iTunes to Google to YouTube and so on. Very good. I know these are trying times for everybody. And it's kind of funny because when we talk about the pandemic, hasn't this been a period of time where the left has really shown its hand? It's been very tyrannical in certain respects across America. How do you see this entire pandemic playing into the bigger problem of the corruption and the socialist love that the Democrats have for, you know, fundamentally transforming America? Well, it's quite obvious that the Democrats are trying to push us into a sort of semi-permanent lockdown, or at least a lockdown through the election. So one motive is to sort of crush the Trump economy so that Trump can't produce even the, the beginning of the green shoots of a sort of second comeback, a second revival of the economy. But I think a deeper motive is to create dependency, to make people accustomed to sitting on the couch, collecting a check every month, because the Democrats would, in a sense, like to take what they've done to minorities in the inner city and do it to the whole country. Uh, we've also seen a second thrust of socialism is the attack on civil liberties. And so basic constitutional liberties, free speech, freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, have come under severe assault uh, and without so much as people even consulting the Constitution. Yeah, it's so true. And yet it, it is an assault on constitutional liberties for some and not for others. So shut down the churches. Cuomo shuts, you know, threatens to shut down the synagogues. But abortion clinics and liquor stores and BLM marchers and rioters can be out without any problem and function like normal. And we still don't have as big a pushback against this as we probably should. 
Yeah, it's been a mystery how Fauci has said, as far as I know, not one word about those things. And it really gives you a clue to what the socialist left is up to. There was a Soviet dissident named Igor Shavarevich in the last century who said the socialists always go after property, the family, the church, and the local community, and ultimately the country. And we see all those thrusts of attack from the left today. They don't like private property, and that's why they're so willing to break windows and attack stores and set things on fire but they don't, they don't like the church, they don't like the family. And so are, this socialism isn't just about economics. Many people on the left care more about abortion than the minimum wage. They care more about the transgender bathroom than they do about universal basic income. There's a cultural Marxism that goes hand in hand with economic confiscation. Well, that's totally right. Well, on the issue of Trump, I know that President Trump means a lot to you personally because he pardoned you over that Democrat political hit job you had to endure. How do you view his importance, though, at this particular moment in history? Because I know I hear a lot of conservatives make the comment that Trump is the only finger left in the dam, and it's probably not that severe. But how do you see him as being the guy for this hour? Well, he's a figure, politically speaking, not militarily, a little bit like Ulysses Grant or even Abraham Lincoln in a critical time. Now, Lincoln was a moderate man, but he found himself in a very immoderate situation. And he had to become a lot tougher than he had been previously because he was dealing with an existential threat to the country. Now, in the Reagan era, which, of course, I became political in the 1980s, we were fighting a Cold War, but it was against a foreign opponent. Now we're in a sort of domestic, a kind of a cold civil war, you might say. Yep. And the opponent is right among us. So it's a completely different situation. It requires a completely different strategy. And sort of conservatives and Christians who are pining for the civility of the Reagan era simply don't, I think, have both eyes open as to what's going on around us. Yes, it's interesting, Dinesh. You talk about a conversation in the book that you had with President Trump, and he was talking about the need to fight back. And clearly we can see that every time he has a rally or speaks at a press conference or anything like that. He's not like President Reagan. President Reagan was very funny, but he was very civil, very dignified. Trump is more of a street fighter. But this is a moment, it would seem, in which a street fighter is really necessary because the, the existential threat is what it is. This is absolutely the key, because imagine in the Civil War, if you went to Abraham Lincoln and said things like, you know, you should fire General Grant, because after all, you know, he's a failed entrepreneur. He ran his father's store to the ground. He's a heavy drinker. He insults his wife and so on. Lincoln would say, yeah, but, you know, we're in the middle of a civil war. Can he fight? We can discuss these other issues after the war is over. And I think with Trump, he's clearly he's got his flaws. But on the other hand, he's so great in defending the crucial principles of pro-life, so great in fighting for what he believes. And he fights on all fronts. Reagan fought on this front or that front, but let the rest of it go. Trump fights on every front. So he's he's devoting his the full measure of his patriotism, I think, and his his conviction to trying to defeat what is really a very serious threat. Well, it is. And, and I think for a lot of us who remember the Cold War and the, the fall of the Berlin Wall and all the rest, it's very weird for us to look at a generation now or two generations, you might say, who are fascinated with socialism. And I think you said it very well in the movie. You said nobody looks back at slavery and says, well, slavery was a good idea. We just didn't execute it properly. So this time we'll do it right. Nobody says that about slavery. Why are they saying that? about socialism when there's so much evidence of the horrors of it and the, the bare fact that it just plain doesn't work. There's a lot of indoctrination, both in the schools and the universities. Now, when I was a, 
a student a generation ago. The, the colleges tilted left, but there was some genuine debate. There were conservative kind of alternative points of view. Those have virtually disappeared from many campuses. So that's the first point. The second one is the left is convinced that there's a kind of new type of socialism that will work. And so they will say, look, we don't want authoritarian socialism. We want democratic socialism. Our socialism is not modeled on Mao or Lenin. It's modeled on Sweden and Norway. Things aren't that bad over there, are they? And third, we are alert not just to class divisions and class injustice, but to racial injustice and gender injustice. So we're going beyond Marx. In, in that inventing what I call identity socialism. I, I use that term because it's a marriage of classic socialism and identity politics. So this is what the movie really dives into. It looks at this new breed of socialism that the left is pushing. It shows who's behind it. It fully refutes it but it also shows how it can be defeated emotionally as well as politically. Well, when you talk about identity socialism, at root, you still have the class warfare, even though it's you know framed in terms of whites versus blacks or men versus women or gays versus straights. It's still the oppressor versus the oppressed. This goes back to the Obama administration. I mean, do you see him really as the key facilitator for this moment that he got the ball rolling on all of this? Yeah, he's the spiritual father of Antifa and Black Lives Matter. I mean, in a sense, you could say that Alinsky wrote the book and Obama, in a sense, put it into practice. All the thuggeries, all Alinskyite strategies, Obama's been behind it. Of course, part of the Alinskyite strategy is to start the trouble and then show up pretending to be the solution for it. It's kind of like the arsonist showing up pretending to be the firefighter. But I think the other side of it is Obama's also, I think, the key figure in the deep state conspiracy against Trump, because it's inconceivable to me that Strzok and Page and Comey and Clapper and Brennan would all be on their own wild expeditions of surveillance. No, somebody gave the order. So it looks like Hillary was the instigator and Obama was the sort of coordinator, the ringleader of this deep state attack on Trump. Well, there's a lot more to talk about. Trump Card is the film out from filmmaker and author Dinesh D'Souza. We're going to come right back talking about it on Janet Meffer today after this. If you could provide God's word to a Bibleist believer elsewhere in the world, would you? Through the Ministry of Bible League International, you can send that Bible today. Hebrews 13.3 urges us to remember those in great need, noting that when the body of Christ anywhere is found lacking, we're encouraged to help provide it. These believers live where churches are small and remote, where authorities aren't welcoming of Christianity, and where Bibles are scarce. As Pastor Carlo in Peru says, they need the hope found only in God's word. Everyone wants to read the Bible. But what happens, there are a few copies here in the area. Many of them will uh, be sharing the single Bible. For only $5, believers around the world will receive Bibles and be discipled in their new faith. $35 sends seven Bibles, $100 sends 20. And because of a matching gift right now, your gift will be doubled. Call 800 Yes Word, 800 Y E S W O R D, 800 Yes Word, or there's a banner to click at JanetMafford.com. 
For several years now, Syrians have been pouring into the country of Lebanon to seek refuge amid terrorism and civil war. Now the crisis in Lebanon has escalated in the aftermath of COVID-19, a crumbling economy, and a devastating explosion in Beirut. Yet the spiritual crisis in Lebanon is the most devastating crisis of all because many people there have still never heard anything about Jesus. That's why Heart for Lebanon is on the ground ministering to hurting refugee families in the south and the Bekaa Valley in Lebanon, providing emergency supplies, Christian education, Bible studies, and worship gatherings for these refugee families. And the impact is incredible. Your investment of $116 will help two families impacted by the crisis in Lebanon to get emergency supplies that they need to survive during the next 60 days. But best of all, these families will hear the gospel of Jesus for the very first time. A gift of $58 is enough to help one family. Can you help? Call now, 888 888- Two four seven fifty four ninety nine. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Great to have you with us and great to have with us author and filmmaker Dinesh D'Souza out with a new movie called Trump Card, Beating Socialism, Corruption, and the Deep State. You can go to DineshD'Souza.com. He's also out with a great new book, United States of Socialism, on which the movie is based. Dinesh, we were talking a little bit about the deep state and Obama being the spiritual father, as it were, of Black Lives Matter and and, Antifa. This has become a very interesting thing though, because now you have an awkward situation where you have the former vice president under Barack Obama having to run for office and try to kind of tiptoe through these things. Uh, He doesn't want to say that he supports Antifa, but he doesn't want to really come out against them. How do you think that he can even maneuver all of this, keeping his radical base happy and also bringing new independent voters on board? I think the key to it is his allies in uh, academia, Hollywood, but mostly the media. Um, and uh, the media is the key to this because these are the large megaphones of our culture and they're fully in bed with Biden and the left. So in some ways, conservatives and Christians are naive because we'll say things like, wow, how come you cover the, the Trump scandals, but you don't cover the Biden scandals? And in doing this, we're appealing to some higher standard of objectivity or fairness and calling people in the media to that. But I don't think they subscribe to that now, if they ever did. And so they laugh because, in a sense, they are, in a sense, extensions of the left. They they don't have a double standard. Their single standard is to protect their side and go after the other side. So I think we need to reduce the power of the media in our minds and recognize them. They're more like operatives of the Democratic National Committee than they are real journalists. Oh, yeah. Going back to the Donna Brazil incident of 2016, when we learned exactly what happens when you have that connection between the media and the DNC, it's just one seamless entity, which goes back to what you were talking about with the deep state and what you address in Trump card. When we look at the corruption of the deep state, when we look at what happened with the impeachment hoax and how this entire Russia collusion narrative was advanced when, in fact, it was the Democrats who were doing the colluding. This is very frustrating for a lot of people, Dinesh, because they look at that whole scandal and say, will there ever be justice? Is there time for the Trump administration to bring justice? What if Trump isn't reelected? How do you see that whole situation of really getting rid of the deep state and dealing with that kind of corruption and, and justice for those people who really have been treasonous to the United States? Yeah, the rot is actually far worse than we had thought. I mean, I I thought that there was bad stuff going on in the deep state. I didn't think it went all the way up to Obama, the sort of head of the snake. Um, now, Trump didn't control his Justice Department for the first three years. 
Uh, I don't think there's enough time for him in the remaining you know, weeks for him to fix this problem. That means that he needs to be reelected if the problem is going to be fixed at all. I think we know if Biden is elected, everything will be shut down and the deep state will resume its nefarious operations um, unexamined. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that the media and the deep state, I mean, who would have thought this? In the 60s, the media was seen as against the FBI, against the CIA. But now they work in coordination with the deep state. And it reminds me of a profound term in Orwell's 1984 when he talks about Big Brother and he talks about the inner party and the outer party. So the inner party is the police agencies of government like the FBI, the CIA and the DOJ. But the outer party is the media, which is the propaganda wing for the deep state. And the two kind of move in flying formation, almost like a flock of birds heading south for the winter. That's right. Well, another big threat to the United States, and this hasn't been talked about as much recently as it was under the Obama administration, that is the threat of Middle Eastern intervention into U.S. politics. I know that you do an interview in the film where you talk about Ilhan Omar, how she's had all of these scandals, and yet they just kind of, they crop up and then they die off. What is the involvement of Middle Eastern figures in getting into U.S. politics? I know we had Muslim Brotherhood people involved uh, in the federal government under Obama, and that was a big issue. Michelle Bachman and others tried to get to the bottom of that and got laughed at by people like John McCain. What is the threat in that regard, Dinesh? There are mass, there's massive amounts of money in the Middle East, and they've realized that they can use that to control American think tanks, to cr- control American lobbyists, to control American governmental institutions, and to fund candidates including people who are congressmen and senators. So this is the real collusion. It's Middle Eastern collusion. We're not talking about Muslims, by the way, in Dearborn, Michigan, being active in politics. We're talking about regimes like Iran operating through intermediaries like Qatar, funneling large amounts of money into American politics. I mean, the whole Russia collusion thing was blown out of proportion. Oh, the Russians spent $4,000 on Facebook ads. Um, you know, this is ridiculous. This is a drop in the bucket. This is not going to influence or shape an election. But on the other hand, when you have giant amounts of Middle Eastern cash funneled into America, that's a different story. So we go into this, into the movies. So the movie is like one mind-blowing revelation after another. And then we knit it all together into a very... Well, horrifying in parts, but in the end, entertaining and also moving and inspirational story. Yeah, and I don't want to give away all the good parts. People are going to have to watch it for themselves. When you talk about these parallels or comparisons, as it were, between Trump and Abraham Lincoln, who you call this moderate man during immoderate times, do you see any direct parallels here? There's the fighting element, but there's also the the huge threat to the continuation of the union. How do you see Trump needing to go forward at a moment like this, given that he wins the election? Well, I think if he wins the election, there will be a domestic uproar and we sort of need to be equipped and ready for that. Um, and, you know, the parallels to the civil to the to 1860 are so, so close and chilling because people debate the Civil War. Was it really about slavery? Was it really ultimately a larger context of issues, including tariffs? Well, the simple fact is that the real trigger of the Civil War was very simple. A Republican who was sort of an outsider, an implausible candidate, ran and won, won legitimately. No one can deny he got an electoral majority, although he didn't get he only got a plurality of the vote. The Democrats would not accept the result and they would rather break up the country than than endure uh, a Lincoln presidency. Well, we've seen another version of that going on for the past four years. 
And now we're basically in 1864, Lincoln's re-election, which was equally controversial. And the Democrats in the North were trying to block Lincoln no less than the Confederates in the South. So it's crazy times in America once again. And I don't think we're in the Reagan era. We'd have to go back to the 1850s for the kind of royal environment that we are in now. Yeah, well, you said, isn't that when you believe that they really started their gangsterization, as it were? The Democrats really kind of started that whole thing way back when. Absolutely. And the first thing they started doing is rigging the rules. And look at the way in which the Democrats want to rig the rules. They want to they want to deprive Trump of the chance to appoint a legitimate Supreme Court nominee when there's a vacancy. They're yeah. claiming that that's stacking the court. They're <laughs> threatening to stack the court themselves. Um, they're threatening all kinds of electoral chaos if Trump is elected. Uh, they want to change the system of voting. Um, they want to abolish the filibuster. So one by one, they're trying to pull down the guardrails of our society. The court, after all, is an undemocratic institution. It's supposed to be a check on the majority. So the very idea, let's wait for the American people to weigh in on who the justice should be. Wait a minute. The court is supposed to protect our basic rights against the American people. Right. Exactly. Well, you know, something else that's very concerning and scary is we've seen these murders now of Trump supporters in Portland and most recently in Denver. Project Veritas just put out this video of this Denver radical uh, who's calling for revolution and offing billionaires like Jeff Bezos. Do you believe the Democrats would go so far as to create a 1917 type scenario if Trump is reelected? I mean, none of us want to go there in our minds. But the way some of these people are talking, it's really, you know, scaring people a bit. What do you think? We have to believe them because, in a sense, their doctrine is nothing more, nothing more than what is being taught in a lot of colleges and universities. One could almost say, and I've said this, that academia is the theory and Antifa is the practice. Yeah. So I think we are ready. We're going to have more of this. And the problem is that if the police don't stop it and it's not stopped through the lawful authorities, then you start seeing vigilantes. You start seeing, you know, um, all kinds of militias and so on. So this is a horrible road to go down. I'm hopeful that law and order can be restored and restored quickly, precisely so we can return to debating uh, things with words and ideas instead of with blows. Right. Well, when we see the existential threat that socialism poses to the United States, and we have a president who who has said that America will never be a socialist country, were he to be elected, what do you think he needs to do to quell the violence if things, you know, more and more violence in the streets, more looting, more mayhem, more threats? what can a president do at this juncture, do you think? Oh, he just has to go. He has to do exactly what, you know, Eisenhower did when segregationist Democrats would, uh, you know, supported by their authorities, governors, mayors and so on, would block the schoolhouse door and refuse to let black kids go in the school. He brought in the, you know, the, the U.S. Airborne. You have to protect basic constitutional rights. Look, we enter into a social compact primarily for safety and for liberty. And it's the, it is the federal government's job to protect us. Now, if the police can't do it, the military has to, because think about it, what, what do we have a military for if not in the end to protect the American people? We think of our military, oh, they're, they're in Afghanistan, they're in Iraq. Their real job is to protect the lives and safety of the American people. So if those are endangered here, it seems to me the obligation of the federal government to deploy whatever means it can to restore safety and to protect constitutional liberty. Yeah, that's important. Dinesh, given your background um, as an immigrant from India and your understanding of socialism, what would you say to Americans about the importance of preserving this nation as it was handed down to us? 
Well, as, when I came to America at the age of 17, uh, you know, I saw a country which not only offered ladders of opportunity, but by that I mean the chance to have social mobility, to move up in life, for the guy at the bottom to basically get to the middle, for the guy in the middle to be able to try to better his condition. But I also saw a country where we can be the architects of our own destiny. We can ultimately formulate our own way of life, our own way of thinking. We can formulate it. We can, we can practice whatever religion we want. So this concept of being in the driver's seat of your own life is the very powerful idea that makes America a magnet for the world and how sad it would be if we lose it here. Well, that's right. Well, the name of the film is Trump Card, Beating Socialism, Corruption in the Deep State. More information available at DineshD'Souza.com, United States of Socialism, his great book. Dinesh, always great to talk to you. Thank you so much for what you do and for being with us. Janet, it's my pleasure. All right. God bless you. Thanks again. We'll be back right after this. This Janet Meffer Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. We're trying to provide 100 refugee families with emergency supplies and the gospel during this urgent time of crisis. Your gift of $116 will help two families. Please help today by calling 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Boy, we are really in some shaky times, aren't we? Big tech just doesn't care anymore. They are all in the tank for Joe Biden. It doesn't matter to them whether or not they have a responsibility to allow people to speak freely. They don't care. What am I talking about? This big bombshell story from the New York Post about Biden's secret emails. And this is quite a story. And it was censored. It was censored on Facebook and it was prevented from being posted on Twitter. Absolutely unbelievable. I've never seen anything like this before. And it just shows you where they're taking us. This is the story in a nutshell via the New York Post. Hunter Biden, as you know, is the son of Joe Biden. He introduced Joe Biden to a top executive at a Ukrainian energy firm less than a year before the elder Biden pressured government officials in Ukraine into firing a prosecutor who was investigating the company, that company being Burisma. Burisma. Hunter Biden, who'd been on the board of Burisma with absolutely no experience, and Biden has been saying, oh, no, I had nothing to do with it. Absolutely nothing. Oh, yeah, I'm sure there was no connection whatsoever in getting your completely unqualified son on the board of Burisma Uh, It had nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with you. And why in the world wouldn't they pick Hunter Biden? You're being the vice president of the United States, I'm sure, had absolutely nothing to do with it. The never-before-revealed meeting is mentioned in a message of appreciation that Vadim Bazarsky, who's an advisor to the board of Burisma, allegedly sent Hunter Biden in 2015, about a year after he joined the Burisma board, at a reported salary of up to $50,000 a month. And the email reads, Dear Hunter, thank you for inviting me to D.C. and giving an opportunity to meet your father and spent some time together. It's really an honor and pleasure. Oops, that's kind of awkward. An earlier email from 2014 also shows Pazarski, reportedly Burisma's number three executive, asking Hunter for advice on how to use your influence on the company's behalf. Joe Biden, of course, called the lid at what, like 11 a.m.? 
He's been doing that, you know, pretty much every morning. That's it for the day. I've been up for an hour. No more work today. It's incredible. And this blockbuster correspondence is in this massive trove of data that was recovered from a laptop computer that was dropped off at a repair shop in Biden's home state of Delaware in early 2019. It's incredible. So this is a huge story. And we just have, you know, a presidential election a few weeks from now. And this guy is the vice presidential candidate who's now the presidential candidate for the Democrats, uh, former vice president of the United States, who's been denying for a long period of time that he had any skullduggery going on related to his son. And now it's all blown sky high and Twitter and Facebook are censoring it. It was unbelievable. Twitter and Facebook were leveling baseless accusations that the reports used hacked materials. This is from the New York Post itself. They said the suppression effort came despite presidential candidate Joe Biden's campaign merely denying that he had anything on his official schedules about meeting a Ukrainian energy executive in 2015, along with zero claims that his son's computer had been hacked. That's significant. Biden himself didn't even claim that it was hacked. Biden himself just denied there was nothing on his schedule about meeting an energy executive from Ukraine in 2015. That is a pretty weak denial, folks. And Joe Biden's Twitter account was silent as the grave. If this were a false story, don't you think he would be trumpeting from the rooftops? These were fake emails. They were planted, you know, whatever the excuse would be. He would be out there trumpeting it. You would have the DNC all up in arms. Kamala would go, go, be going more nuts than she normally does. It's not happening. Why, why would they have to do that when all they have to do is get their buddies at big tech to just shut the story down? It's absolutely incredible. Now, here's something else about this. Josh Hawley has gotten involved, the senator from Missouri. And I think it's time, and a lot of people are now calling for stripping big tech of their Section 230 privileges and perhaps amending or revising this particular section to ban these big tech outlets from political censorship. Talk about interfering in a presidential election. This is interfering in a presidential election, and they certainly do not apply their rules across the board in a fair manner. Uh, They let pretty much anything anybody ever said about Trump, including all of the impeachment hoax material, to run freely like a stream through the forest. No problem there. They're doing journalism. But I'm sorry, here, we're going to have to censor you. We're going to have to stop you. We want to have some of our fact checkers check into you. What really bugs me about this as well is, given my own background in newspapers, journalists are the ones writing the stories and the editors are the ones doing all the fact checking. Well, the reporter does the fact checking as well. But for extra measure with a big story like this, you can better believe that a whole team of editors fact check this thing backwards, forwards and inside out. And it is the liability of the newspaper at the end of the day that's in question. If there's something that's false in the story, they don't want to run anything that's libelous. They don't want to run anything that's unproven. They don't want to get sued, especially in this political environment. They're not going to go over the top and and start asserting things that they can't back up. It's not up to some third party fact checker at a big tech outlet who's probably about 31 years old and has no journalistic background to figure out whether or not the New York Post knows how to report. That's just offensive. When a newspaper is actually doing journalism, and very few of them are these days, you're going to let some 
you know, millennial decide who, who, who probably has no credentials the way the New York Post does to decide whether or not something is runnable to make these decisions. It's a, it's a, or it's a ruse. What they don't want is some bombshell story about Biden derailing his campaign. They have enough problems. They have enough problems. The guy is lying all the time. He's hardly out there campaigning. When he is out there campaigning, nobody cares. He's in his basement all the time with his mask. He doesn't want to do any debates. He's confused. He's gaff prone. He says ridiculous things. Sometimes he doesn't even know what office he's running for. He doesn't know where he's located. And he on and on and on. They don't need one big, bad corruption story making it worse for the Democrats. So it's amazing to me. And then I read this story from Forbes, which really made me sick, to tell you the truth. It really made me sick to see this. The whole thing was basically, well, I'll read you the headline. The headline is conservatives bash Facebook and Twitter again over complaints that they censored a controversial story about Hunter Biden. Now, you might not notice this, but what leaps out to me when I read that headline is the fact that they're making this a story about conservatives griping. That's what they're saying this story is about. The Biden story, eh? Yeah, okay, so the the Democratic presidential hopeful is a big liar, and and we've proved it now, and he's completely corrupt, and there's probably some law he broke that uh, you know he could be prosecuted over. Well, we're just going to put that aside for a moment, and oh, 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 yes, social media, in a political move, censored the story when they're not allowed to do that. That that's also not the news. No, the news is that conservatives are griping. And this is the most amazing paragraph of all. The Post took an opportunity to kick Facebook in the shins. Its editorial board published an op-ed that labeled Facebook a propaganda machine. But then they also go on to say the Biden campaign says such a meeting never occurred. And the Post story was widely criticized for seeming to rely on questionable sources that it didn't look at critically or attempt to verify. What are you talking about? And this is the real kicker. True bombshells this late in an election cycle would have received widespread prominent attention from rival media outlets. Notice that the Post in this case didn't get. Rival reporters didn't race to the phones to confirm the story and follow it. Instead, they seemed to stare at the Post's work with a kind of disdain usually reserved for the dirty dog that tracks something smelly into the kitchen. Do you get what they're saying? If the mainstream media didn't report it, it's not a story. And also left aside in this whole thing is why would a DNC based media do this story? It's it is such a lie. It is such a lie to imply it's not a story if the New York Post did the digging, because if it were really a story, everybody would do it. Well, last I checked, everybody did the Trump collusion hoax impeachment garbage for years. And the people who were really colluding were the Democrats. And very few people did that story. But I thank the Lord for the people who will do these stories. This is journalism. Shame on Forbes and shame on Facebook and Twitter. We got some real work to do in Congress to rein in big tech. We're going to come back. Kevin Sorbo of the hit films God's Not Dead and Let There Be Light gives his thoughts on the scourge of abortion. One of the greatest attacks in America was an attack perpetrated by our very own Supreme Court. Now, subsequent to that, there have been 70 million babies slaughtered in the wombs of their mothers. 
That is more than the entire population of Canada and Australia combined. And that's why Kevin Sorbo also supports Preborn. I wanted to invite you to offer your full support for the Ministry of Preborn and its leader, Dan Steiner. The team at Preborn is very focused and very successful at saving preborn babies from abortion. Will you join us in the cause for life? By letting a mother see her baby on ultrasound and hear the heartbeat, she'll choose life 80% of the time. For $140, you can help save five babies' lives. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Are you in need of a healthcare program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561, 855 855- Five six five twenty five sixty one. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Man, there is so much news right now. We had the Biden's secret emails piece from the New York Post that was censored by Facebook and Twitter, revealing that this Ukrainian executive thanked Hunter Biden for the opportunity to meet with his dad, and then his dad went on to uh, strong arm and get somebody fired. I mean, it's it's incredible. And then big tech censors it. So we've got that. But another big story that was revealed yesterday that I think is also something everybody needs to know about, if you hadn't heard about it already, is another Project Veritas reveal. And this is important because we know that the left has been gearing up. We've seen this. We had somebody die in Denver. There's a whole lot of skullduggery going on there, too. Uh, And we had somebody die in Portland at the hands of an Antifa member who ended up being killed by police. We've already got people dying in the streets. These people mean business. And we know full well that if Trump is reelected, it is going to explode out there on the streets. I'm sure these people are just biding their time, pocketing the Soros money and waiting for their orders. But this is proof of it. There is a man by the name of Christopher Jacks. He's the chairman of Our Revolution in Weld County, Colorado. And he was filmed by a Project Veritas undercover reporter talking about where he sees all of this going. I want to just play it for you so you can hear it for yourself. This is cut one. 2020 is a political revolution. I am going to do everything morally acceptable to win. I will lie, I will cheat, I will steal because that's morally acceptable in this political environment. This is Chris Jacks from Our Revolution, a radical left 501c4 organization bent on creating a quote, political revolution in the United States. Jacks represents the Democratic Party here in Colorado. And Jack says a Biden administration will be used to advance his political objectives or else there will be violence. It's going to take a strategic hit against the the 0.1% that's in charge. Because that's who it is. It's killing killing random Nazis in the street, random bootlickers. 
So you want to do some Versailles, you want to do some Antifa, you really want to change this country that way with parents? There's only one way to do it. you got to get people that are close to billionaires and start just random billionaires start turning up dead. I mean, Bezos at the top of the list. So I do think there needs to be a militant group, and I love Antifa for that reason. I love that there's... You, you always have to have somebody that's willing to hold up the flag and say, no, this is the line in the sand, and we're the ones holding that line. Okay, I know that that's a little bit difficult to hear because there's background noise, but but some of the biggest sentences in that entire exchange had to do with, if you want to do some Antifa stuff and Versailles stuff, you really want to change this country that way with violence, here's some of the most bombshell stuff in that particular quote. There's only one way to do it. you got to get people that are close to billionaires and start just random billionaires start turning up dead and nobody knows What's going on? Nobody knows. They just turned up dead. And who does he cite as a potential billionaire who should be offed? The guy at the top of the list, Jeff Bezos, the head of Amazon. Now, he's a good leftist. Does this bother him at all? I would hope it would bother him. I don't think that that's a good thing to be hearing on the news. Hey, somebody wants to off me because I'm a random billionaire, hardly a random billionaire. But this is what is going on on the left. It doesn't matter. 2020 is a political revolution. We want to change this country with violence. There's only one way to do it, and that's to start killing people. Now listen to the second cut. Cut two. That's all I got to say. Option A, what I'm proposing. Option two, slicing boys. What are your choices? Which one do you want? Joe Biden is presumably left-wing, and he's got a functioning signing hand. And as long as there's progressive legislation that comes across his desk, I am confident we can occupy his house. We know where he'll live. So there you think. And yeah, he wants to veto Medicare for all. Let him veto it. He's never leaving that house again without protest. Half of the struggle that I have ain't with Republicans. It isn't with the right wing. It's with moderates in the Democratic Party. They underestimate how many people on the left are organized, trained, armed, and ready to go. Organized, trained, armed, and ready to go. People have underestimated how many people on the left fit that bill. That is very, very terrifying because I don't know how many people fit that bill, but we should be concerned. We've seen what they've done in Minneapolis and Portland and Seattle and on and on and on. Washington, D.C., we've seen what these people are capable of, and I think that was just the warm-up. Then you have this story via Breitbart. Left-wing radicals post online guide to disrupting the country if election is close. An organization of radical left-wing activists have put this guide out, outlining a plan to shut down the country. Wait a minute, weren't we pretty much already shut down? And force President Trump from power in the event that the 2020 election is too close to call. The guide is called Stopping the Coup. It's available as a Google Doc, and it's being circulated by a group called Shut Down DC. It casts its plan for disruption as a response to an imagined coup by the president in the case of a close election. 
Well, super. In an email promoting the guide, Shutdown DC declares preventing Donald Trump from stealing the election and remaining in office is likely to take mass sustained disruptive movements all over the country. And the guide serves as a manual to that disruption. Parts of the guide are committed to ensuring a fair election. Yeah, sure. Parts of it, however, read like a manual for staging a coup rather than as a guide to preventing one. No surprise there. And you know what? I'll I'll tie in something that I thought was really weird in the midst of all of this. And it seems on its face not to have anything to do with what I've just been talking about, but I think it really does. There was a LifeWay research poll that was just done asking Protestant pastors how they plan to vote. And you have a large number of pastors, 53% of pastors likely to vote, say they plan to vote for Donald Trump. That number for evangelical pastors is in the 60s, 68%, I believe it is. So that's not terribly surprising. What I found a little strange was that 22% of them say they're still undecided. Now, keep in mind, it may be the case that some of these pastors just don't want to talk about it. They don't want to get into it. There are people who just don't like talking to people who are doing polls. So let's assume for a moment that there is a certain sector of that number that they're just people who don't want to talk about it. Twenty. How in the world can you not know who you're voting for at this point? It's not like the parties are close together. It's not like they basically believe the same things with only slight differences. I mean, one party is going in the direction of preserving the country and the other party is going in the direction of destroying it. How in the world can you be undecided if you are a pastor? I don't know. I really don't know the answer to that. I just find that mind blowing. Even if the number is only actually 15 percent instead of 22 percent. What is wrong with you? Because at this time and in this particular moment in political history in the United States of America, it has never been more important that the church understands and clearly believes and proclaims the Bible as God's word and understands the moral and social issues in the context of God's word. And the people desperately need pastors who will stand up and help them to, to guide them really through all of these issues if they have never really thought about it before. Moral issues, things like abortion, things like Israel, things like so-called same-sex marriage, things like you know law and order, lawlessness, things like individual liberty, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. I don't know how many pastors in the United States are actually getting up in their pulpits and talking about these things, but all of them should be doing this. I am tired of reading these statistics showing that pastors are not talking about anything in the real world where people live. And I'm not arguing for some kind of entertainment driven, fun church thing. You know how much I'm against that. Preach the word in season and out of season. But we've seen from some of these statistics that the people desperately want guidance from their pastors. And most of them are disappointed that they're not getting it because the pastors are saying, we don't want to talk about anything controversial. It might drive people out of our churches. You know, you're going to be driven out of your churches as well if the left gets a hold of you. Look what they're doing to you right now in the pandemic or what they have been doing to you in the last several months. Oh, they shut you down. All right. While they let the abortion clinics stay open and the liquor stores stay open. Do you think the left wouldn't eventually do all it possibly could to shut down the churches some way? I mean, you're fooling yourself if you think that there's permanent safety for the church and permanent freedom for the church. Folks, there is not permanent freedom. Freedom has to be fought for. 
Freedom has to be defended and freedom needs to be proclaimed and undergirded by the biblical principles that show us that our rights are granted to us by God and not any tyrannical government that would come along and put a boot on our face forever. And we need to keep that in mind. By the way, I just want to thank all of you who have been donating to our Heart for Lebanon campaign. We are doing great. We're trying to help families who are in crisis there in these refugee camps, Muslim families coming to know the Lord like never before and getting discipled in churches. What a ministry these guys have. $58 will help one family get food and supplies, Christian education for their kids, and the gospel for the next 60 days. Call now, 888 888- 247-5499 888-247-5499 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com Thank you so much